You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in Southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. Good morning. How are you all? All right. We are in week three of our series, and I think this one's fun, Foundations. And uh, if you want to look up online, um, under the U version of the Bible, you can look under the More area to the event, and you'll locate Thrive Community Church will come up if you've got your location services on, and there is notes for this sermon all right there. So if you want to, and you can even add notes in yourself, type them in, if you can... I don't do a good job of that, but yeah, you can. And, um, and then kind of just kind of follow along and get kind of more out of it, I think, that way. But uh, we're going to start with prayer. Lord God, on this day, we rejoice in <laughs> your goodness and mercy in that, Lord Jesus, you are king, no matter who is on any earthly throne, that you are the king of kings and lord of lords, and that you, O oh Lord, are the one who on your throne of the cross wore that crown of thorns for us and rose from the dead. And so we celebrate you today. We focus on you. We rest our lives on you. We pray, Lord God, that you'd fill this message with your presence, that you present yourself here fully to each one of us. And we pray, Lord, for all the churches in our area, all the Christian ministries at FGCU, that um, you create a kingdom movement among us all for the sake of your glory, and that something happens here in the Estero, Fort Myers, Bonita Springs area that you alone can get um, credit for. It's not because of us and our ingenuity, but all because of your mercy and grace. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our text today that we're kind of look kind, I know, we are looking at, okay, is um, from Colossians chapter 1. It's an early creed, actually. Um, so there are creeds in the, actually 300 times in the New Testament, it says Jesus is Lord. And that is the simplest creed the simplest statement of faith, uh, confession saying, yes, you are Lord, you are my Lord. But then um, Paul expands that at times, and in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 to 20, he says this, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So we confessed the Apostles' Creed earlier today. We stood, we shared that confession, and the Christian church throughout history has been doing that for, well, since for 15, 16, 17, 1800 years in one form or another. And today, two billion Christians across this world, the vast majority of them, have stated that creed. And what we've done throughout time, what the ancient church did at the time, they did two things when they confessed and spoke those words of the creed. First of all, they were rejecting the narratives of the Roman Empire and whatever empire they were in. They were rejecting what was going on and saying, that is not the reality that defines our lives. 
they were saying that is not who we worship or what we worship or what we bow down to or what we have our allegiance to. And secondly, they were confessing and saying, this is whose we are, in whom we believe. So they both rejected the narratives that were around them and they actually pledged allegiance, you might say, to the one true and living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We do the same thing today. We reject the narratives of our society and our world, our culture around us, which is really propaganda. Many times, time and again, confessing, professing that this is the way to live. This is the way to have meaning in life. This is what life is all about. And so we reject materialism and militarism and nationalism and empiricism and scientism and socialism and every other ism that would in one sense try to define who we are, tell us how to live and be the end all and be all of our lives. Now we don't reject science and we don't reject the nation, but we just put it in its place. It is not Lord, okay? It does not define us. It does not um, direct us. It is not our foundation. It's not in whom we trust, okay? Finally and ultimately, it is the God who created us, the God who redeemed us, and the God who makes us holy. This God that we say in the Apostles' Creed. That's the narrative we follow, okay? So we started two weeks ago with just that first phrase, I believe. I believe. And we said, it is not I know. The creed doesn't start out with knowledge in your head, but a belief and trust in your heart that you can rest and fully rest in your God. And then last week we went through I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And we said that our God is infinitely powerful, but at the same time, intensely personal. So fatherly in his compassion and grace. He defines what real fatherhood is for each of us. And he relates to us as the loving Father of all compassion and grace, which now spills over, of course, into how God loved the world. He gave us his son. And today we're going to focus in on what becomes the largest section of the creed, the narrative of the life of Jesus, and it starts, and in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. You know, where other religions, where other religions will state something differently that this is the way, or this is the path, or this is the method, or if you follow this, or these rules, or these morals, then you will be on the way to everlasting life. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He doesn't say, here is the way, follow it, or I might be a way, but he says, I am the way. And that may be a little troubling for some people these days. Now, Colossians confirms this whole thing as well. 
in verses 15 through 20 that we read, it says that Christ is preeminent. Through him, all things were created. Everything that is finds its being and meaning and center in Jesus Christ. He is the core of everything. He is the end all and be all. And what's fascinating about the letter to the Colossians, it wasn't written that long after the life of Jesus, you know, maybe 40, 50 AD, so 10, 20 years later. Now, there are a lot of people these days, and you've probably heard of them, maybe you've read the Da Vinci Code, um, where Dan Brown says, like a lot of people try to say in the moderns, oh, you know, well, that whole thing that Jesus is God or God's son, that comes up a lot later, You know, 300, 400 AD, when the Roman church wanted to consolidate all power and eliminate all the other stuff, but that was not what the early church taught. No, those early Christians, they just had a loving fellowship, and Jesus was just, you know, yada, yada, yada. Well, that flies in the face of the reality of the most seminal ancient documents we have, such as the letter to the Colossians, states from the beginning the centrality of Jesus Christ, his person, his work, and such a high-level Christology was always in existence. It was the center of what the church was about. And Christianity says from the beginning, Jesus is so unique, he is preeminent over all. It all depends on Jesus, period, always has. It's not about rules, it's not about ideas, it's not about concepts, it's not about a way, it is about Jesus the way. Now in Florida, one thing you don't do, I've learned over the years I've been here, and that is if you know there's a sinkhole, you don't build your house on it, (laughs) right? I think that, yes, you don't build your house on a sinkhole. Uh, And people have, and you see what happens. It starts to collapse in. The question we have today is because we are saying everything depends on Jesus. You can build your life on it. Christianity either is founded on it or collapses on it. Is Christianity built on a sinkhole? Is it going to cave in? Is it hollow? Can you pull away and find that Jesus just, oops, we're building in the wrong place? It all depends on Jesus. We're going to look at that today. This is the way Ephesians chapter 2 states it, because it says that Christ is the cornerstone. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Everything depends on Jesus. Everything is built on him. And the creed then takes the longest, hardest look at Jesus' life. It spells it out. We're going to be in that section of the creed for a number of weeks, going through it to see what is this foundation. Is it something you can place and rest your whole lives on, or is it going to cave in on you? Now, here's the reality. I don't know if you know that. I mean, you could just see it again and again. Everybody wants a piece of Jesus. You know, they want Jesus to be their next door neighbor or to have somebody else build their house on Jesus and they 
trust in that person. You know, you pray for me because I'm going through this. I don't want to do it myself. Even a person like Richard Dawkins, I don't know if you've heard of him. He wrote the book, The God Delusion. And he says he likes Jesus. He loves Jesus. He thinks Jesus is great. And if Jesus were alive today, he'd be an atheist. That's what he says. See, everybody wants a piece of Jesus and to make him into what they want out of him. I love Jesus as long as I can interpret him the way I want. Right? But um, Jesus doesn't allow that. From the beginning, the documents from Colossians that we look at, from the life of Jesus himself, from the Gospels that were written um, about him and verbally brought what he says, it doesn't allow you to make Jesus into a nice guy or a social worker or a reformer or someone who was prophetic in some of his thinking. The creed then says it's either all or nothing. And so we're going to look at just that phrase today, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. And in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. We're going to take it one word at a time, and through it kind of just show you what this all means about Jesus. And is he that foundation we can place our lives on or not? Okay? pretty simple. So the first word is Jesus. Jesus. And the historic Jesus Christ. Even his critics and his followers all know about Jesus. We know he lived around 4 BC being born to about 30 AD. And I know you're going like, what? Well, the Julian calendar is off and we know that too because of other people's lives and stuff. But we know exactly what he said and where he lived and what he's about And his critics, as well as his followers, all know he was a real human being in the flesh. He was no different than any of us. And in some ways, that was part of the big scandal. So when we say the word Jesus, we're always talking about the real human being, Jesus. And this is going to become more important next week. And we'll get into that with the next phrase in the creed. Then the word Christ. Now, This is not his last name, okay? It wasn't Joseph Christ and Mary Christ had Jesus Christ, okay? Christ is actually from Christos, the Greek word that is the translation of the Hebrew word Messiah. And in the Old Testament, in the people of Israel, the anointed one, that's what it means, could be a prophet, a priest, or a king, but especially King, And when we say Jesus is the Messiah, we're saying he is the king. He is the fulfillment of the divinic kingdom. He is the one who sits on the throne and prays, God, we do not vote him into office. (sighs) There's no election for this. There is the selection of God the Father who says, this is my son whom I love and whom I am well pleased. Jesus is the Christ. Now, you have to realize he's not the only one who claimed that title, who was entitled the Christ or the Messiah. There are many other people at Jesus' time or before or just after Jesus' time that were messianic figures. And you can read about it, by the way, in Wikipedia. You look that up. Now, you don't know about them probably because once they died, so did their movement. 
But here are a few of them from Wikipedia. There's Simon of Perea. He was a former slave under Herod the Great. He rebelled and he was killed in about 4 BC, gone. Then there's Athrages, a shepherd turned rebel leader, but he dies in 3 AD. Simon Bar Kokhba, the most famous, about 100 plus years after Jesus, he actually formed the Jewish state. He had a big rebellion and he dies in the second Jewish war, and that's the end of his movement. And then I love this one, Moses of Crete. So he took the name Moses. He wanted to be another Moses. He was a messianic figure, and he said, okay, we're on Crete. We're going to go back to Israel. Let's all walk across the sea on dry land. It didn't work, and he's gone. Get it? And so you don't hear about these because every one of these movements died when... The Messiah died, just kind of like the Koreshans. I don't know if you've been to Koreshans State Park, but there you can see Cyrus Teed thought he was a messianic figure. And this park now, just a couple miles down the road off Corkscrew, has a bunch of buildings. I think we've got a picture of one of them. The next slide. And um, there it is, Koreshans State Park. You can read about it, and you'll find out that he died, and they put him in a bathtub for days just waiting for him to resurrect from the dead. And once they saw the green stuff cutting out of him, they said, that's the resurrection power. But then it started to smell, and they buried him. <laughs> no more Koreshianity. But Christianity did not die. In fact, historians look at Christianity and are shocked and amazed that this move had exploded on the Christian scene or on the early church scene and defied all logic but for the fact that the apostles and prophets and early followers must have truly believed Jesus rose from the dead. That's historic. It's the only explanation. And within two to three hundred years, it had transformed the Roman world. That's what we mean when Jesus is the Messiah. He claimed it and he fulfilled it. And he's the only messianic movement that's ever existed in this world that keeps it going because of that. So, and in Jesus Christ, Messiah, his the next term is his. It means he's the father's son. Okay? And um, everything the father does, he does. I and the father are one, Jesus would say. Whatever you see me doing, the father is doing. I'm working because the father is working. You know, I used to kind of believe and kind of was raised thinking that Christianity almost had two, a good cop and a bad cop God. I don't know if you did, the father was kind of the mean God, the wrathful God, the one who hates sin and just hates this world because of all that bad stuff down there. And sometimes you get that picture from people that, oh, look at that wrathful, mean God. Now, I'm not saying, like we talked last week, we can have wrath, but it's because of his love that there's wrath, not because that he's just wrathful. And so then he sends his son and then he just punishes him, you know, to take out his anger boom, and then it's gone. And so you had good cop, bad cop, but that is not what the scriptures say. It says, for God so loved the world he gave his son. So there is no hidden God behind Jesus that you go like, oh no, you know, I better watch out. I better hold on and hide behind Jesus because man, that other, that father is going to get me. 
because that guy is scary. There is no, you know, there is no hidden agenda for God. There is no secret sauce behind God saying, ooh, if I touch that, that's what's going to happen. This, when you have Jesus, when you see Jesus, you get the fullness of God. That's why Colossians says, and you can read that, he is the image of the invisible God. He is the human face for God. So you know exactly what God thinks of you and what God says and what God does when you see Jesus. All the fullness of God is in Jesus. So you get exactly who God is. That is so important. You don't have to worry about what God thinks of you or whether God wants you or has called you or loves you or forgives you because you've got Jesus. His. The next word, only. Mm, That's one moderns have a problem with. What? The exclusivity. But from the beginning, it's always been there. You think you're the first people or we're the first people that have a problem with Jesus being the only son, not just a son or one of? No. (laughs) In fact, it was the religious leaders of his day that struggled with what Jesus said in John chapter 8 when he speaks about that in me is life and I uh, bring freedom and you're sons of slaves. You know what they did? He was so exclusive about what he said, they realized it was blasphemy. And it says in John chapter 8, they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out to the te- of the temple. They were ready to kill him. And in fact, that's exactly why he dies in the Gospel of John. We see that when he's in front of Pontius Pilate. Pilate's got him up there. And in John chapter 19, he brings out Jesus after he says, Hey, I've got him wearing a crown of thorns, doing all this stuff. We're mocking him. Behold, you're the man and the chief priests. It says... Um, you know, they, they say, um, crucify him, crucify him. This is that Bible passage that's the next slide, okay? We have a law, and according to that law, they said, he ought to die because he made himself to be the son of God. And when Pilate heard that, he freaked out, okay? That's not what it says, but he was afraid. He freaked out. He brought Jesus back in and said, oh, holy, holy, you know, I don't know what he said, but he wait a minute, where are you from? Because he said, there's something, if you're the son of God, he doesn't want to mess with the son of God. Right? But Pilate finally hands him over anyways because he made the choice. My job is more important than his life. Political expediency. Son, the next term. What do we mean by son? It's not a mythical way. It's not like Zeus when he had relations with a woman and then there comes Hercules, kind of this demigod. No. When we say son, we're saying something that is so profound and such a mystery, it's hard to understand. But we are saying he is the eternal son, never born, begotten of the father before all worlds, as the Nicene Creed says. The fact that before there was a world, before anything, God has always been this relationship, this community of father, son, and spirit, and perfect love and harmony. That means at the center of the universe, at the center of all existence, the meaning of life, the foundation of everything is love. That's why 
John's letter, 1 John 4 says, God is love. Not God is loving, like one of his attributes. It's the center attribute. It is the end all and be all. That means that love created this world, love has redeemed this world, and love will restore this world in Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? So all the garbage we've been seeing in the news, around this world, around our country, it doesn't win. In the end, it is love. The love of God the Father giving us his son that's going to reign supreme. And we say that when he is the only son, our Lord. The next word is our. It becomes personal. It's ours together. He is mine and I am his. I am connected to him. He has chosen to be one with us. Isn't that amazing? And maybe the most important word is the last one, which is Lord. Okay? It's the Greek word there at the bottom called kyrios. It's where we get the Latin word kyrie or kyrie eleison. Anybody hear the word kyrie before? <laughs> Guess what? Um, I, I don't think kyrie, Klopke, wants us to call her Lord. Maybe Phil does that once in a while. But no, but it really does. It means Lord. But this is, this is the fascinating thing behind this all, okay? The word for Lord. So when the, Greek, when the Hebrew Bible was translated, because there were so many Greek-speaking Jewish people in a, a few hundred years before Christ was even born, they had to come up with the Greek words to use for the Hebrew words. And so the big Hebrew word that needed to be translated was the name of God himself that he gave to Moses at the burning bush, Yahweh, I am who I am. The name that he was known by, I am the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God who is personally connected to and covenanted with and promised himself to specific people, specific times. I'm the God of rescue. I'm the God of the exodus. I'm the God who forgives. I'm the God of great compassion, Yahweh. And when they translated the word Yahweh, they used the Greek word kyrios, which means when we say Jesus is Lord, we are saying Jesus is Yahweh, the God of the exodus is the God of the rescue at Calvary and the God who covenants and promises himself to be with his people, the God who will never leave us or forsake us. We are saying something greater than he is simply a king or a leader. He is the one, the end all and be all. Jesus is Lord. So what does this all mean? Why is this all important? Kind of so what? Well, here's, I think, the true reality of our situation. Everyone in this world, all of us, have built our lives on a sinkhole. Okay? Period. Because we rejected the foundation, Jesus. And said, no, I'm going to define it my way, and I'm going to build my life on what I can accomplish and what I can do and what I can make for myself. Guess what? It's going to cave in someday. It will. It might work for a decade, two decades, three decades. I don't get out of this world alive, and I don't save myself. Do you know what I see in this society right now? Whew. A lot of anxiety, 
because the world is caving in on a lot of people in the United States as well as around the world, but in our culture. We have built our security on having a certain level of middle-class life and anything that starts to threaten it, and boy, it feels threatened these days. From global trade policies, <gasps> it's going to take away, to corporate profits who just treat us as individuals who are replaceable and you can get rid of. From, from Russian hackers to Islamic terrorists to instability in the Middle East to every, you know, you name it, we are feeling threatened. Our lives are caving in, but it's showing the reality. We've been building our identity, our purpose, our meaning on the level of comfort we get from a materialistic, you know, lifestyle of what I can get out of life, and it's starting to fall in under us. And this is when Jesus walks into this world, he says, uh-uh-uh, it ain't working. I'm not the sinkhole. You're living on a sinkhole. It's time to trust me. I am the way. I am the cornerstone. I am the sure foundation. You can rest your whole life on me. That's what he said. That's what he did. That's what he's about. And you have to make a decision about that. Pilate had to make a decision. Is my career more important? or this man in front of me. The thieves on the cross next to Jesus while he was dying had to make a decision on that. And one castigates him and yells at him. The other one did it too, but then finally says, remember me when you come into paradise. You know, remember me in your kingdom. Because he realized his life was a mess. He had messed up all the way along and he deserved exactly what he was getting there. But Jesus, you got to save me. Peter had to make that decision. And often we make those decisions and we run away or we get scared or whatever. And I hear again and again, I've got neighbors, I've got friends, I've got people in the community, I see it all over the place. They want somebody else to be, you know, that foundation's over. Great, you pray for me. You do this, you cannot have somebody else build their lives on Jesus and you trust in their life. You got to decide whether you're going to build on a sinkhole or on the firm foundation. And why I know it's a firm foundation, because he's the only one who's laid down his life for me, who gave up everything for me, who went through hell for me, who did it all for me. And that's the only way, the only way I am saved. It is not by my intelligence, not by my education, it's not by my piety, it's not by my efforts or my work, it's all by grace, it's all by Jesus. He is the firm foundation, that's it. So, Jesus, my firm foundation and yours. That's what we confess in the creed. It's not a for somebody else's. And I want you to make that confession today as well. There's a man, um, a great, I think, theologian reformer of the church named Martin Luther a long time ago. He made it very personal, very profound, kind of spelled it out when he explained this part of the creed and he said this, I believe that Jesus Christ is true God, begotten of the Father from eternity, and also true man, born of the Virgin Mary, and that he is my Lord, 
who has redeemed me, a lost and condemned creature, purchased and won me from all sins, from death and from the power of the devil, not with gold or silver, but with his holy precious blood and with his innocent suffering and death, in order that I might be his own, live under him in his kingdom and serve him in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness, even as he has risen from the dead, lives and reigns to all eternity. This is most certainly true. Another way of saying, I'm resting my whole life on him. Will you do that today? Rest your whole life on him? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, yeah, this world is caving in. What we've built up just doesn't work. Forgive us for trying to trust other things. We place our whole life on you. We rest fully on you. We only look to you. You're, you're, you're our all in all. Thank you, Jesus, for laying down your life for me, for us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for doing all for us. Thank you, Lord, that we have security. When life seems to be caving in and when everything is falling apart, Lord, we can fall on you. And you hold us up. You are our firm foundation. And so we praise and thank you and we worship you. And we know Jesus Christ, the only Son, you are our Lord. In your name we pray, amen.